the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. To have faith in God is not a stagnant state. It's a journey. As a believer, we should grow in our knowledge of God and His Word. Walk with Alan Cutting and many other believers as together we walk the believer's journey. Aloha and welcome to the Believer's Journey. I want to thank you for joining us today. I want to thank you for your um, participation in praying for our, our ministry, for watching us, for sharing our, uh, our videos. I want to thank our um, sponsors, Guerrero CPA and Allison and Thompson Insurance, and as well as uh, Trade Show Displays. If any of you happen to need a, a CPA or insurance or some kind of promotion, go to my website and you can click on the, the links and, and get to get to one of those uh, people that sponsor our, our uh, ministry. Uh, today we have a, a really neat program. I'm going to do something very different today. Normally we have a, a half of half an hour that we uh, promote a ministry, promote uh, the minister or missionary, and then we go into a topic. And today we're just basically going to um, work with a topic all the way through the the hour. We're going to talk about uh, healing. We're going to talk about faith. We're going to talk about the power of God. My guest today, his name is Marcos Burgess Jr. Okay, and um, he is here. We're going to we're going to he's going to tell his story. I brought along with him his his dad. Why I don't know, but uh, I figured he'd be a good input here and there. Um, and Marcus has an amazing story. He was in college. He was in his just finished his fourth year. I guess you were in Tennessee. Yeah. And um, you were it was a music major. Yeah, I was a music major. Um, I was at Lee University. Okay. In Cleveland, Tennessee. So, and I've just met Marcus Jr. I've uh, just met him. I've known his dad for three and a half years now. Yeah. Wow. Nice life. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so anyway, uh, when I read Marcus uh, Jr., I guess you're both Marcus. Yeah. So, uh, do they call you Junior at home? No. Good. Uh, <laughs> they have a, a Spanish name for me. Oh, okay. So it, when you want to refer to something as little, you put Ito at the end. Okay. So my dad is Marcus, Marcos, then I'm Marquito. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And your mom probably does that a yeah, lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been around Spanish homes a lot. Exactly. Mexican homes and that's exactly. Yeah, no, that's how it works. Yeah. yeah. So, so you had something happen to you that put you in the hospital that basically uh, put you in a, in a position that even your parents didn't know if you were going to live. But I want you to tell us what happened. Okay. And from your perspective. So start from the beginning. It was it was like a normal normal day, summer day. It was July eighteenth, so it was a summer it was a summer Sunday. Um, I didn't go to church because I didn't have to play drums, so I just didn't go. Um, so I got up, and what I did first was a little like morning workout stretch thing that I 
I like doing. So I was doing that. Um, I was doing push-ups, pull-ups, jumping jacks. And then all of a sudden, I just felt a little, like a, like a snap. Like that happened in the back of my head. And so it felt like a little headache was starting, was starting to happen. So I was like, okay, let me stop. Let me get some water. And we'll just say how I feel. So I went downstairs, and it was not getting better. So at that time, I started to panic a little bit. It's like, oh, it's not getting better. What do I do? And it was summer, so no one was home. I was by myself. My roommates, one was in like Washington. He was, he likes climbing, so he was climbing. And another friend was in California. He, he's a math major, so he was doing more math stuff. Um, so I was by myself. Um, but luckily, I had friends next door, so I went over there, and I called him down, and I just collapsed at his house or in his, on his couch, and I fell over. I just started feeling uh, numb, started feeling like I was losing, losing balance. Well, that's why I fell over, because I was like, I can't stand anymore. Um, then I started, uh, like, shaking, not really shaking, like getting numb in my hands and my legs. Um, the light was getting really, uh, getting too much for me, um, and sound, it was very weird. Everything started getting muffled, so I wasn't really deaf, but it just, everything was coming like, all these, all the words everyone was saying, so I didn't know who else was there. All I know is there were more people, and another, a funny story I like saying, was I didn't find this out till later, but I knew then was one of my counselors later, uh, once I got out of the hospital, she told me the symptoms of a AVM and one of them is projectile vomit. And so I didn't know that. But I found that out when I was on the couch because I drank some water and I did not have that anymore. <laughs> and it was on the floor. <laughs> so AVM is arteriovenous malfunction, correct? Or malformation. Malformation. And that's when yeah. the that's vein, when veins in the veins. back. Yeah, veins. It can happen anywhere. It's just when vein, veins from birth, instead of connecting like normally, they just connect bad and there's a big clump. Okay. So whenever there's pressure, they'll burst. So that's what happened to my head. So working out, obviously that creates pressure in your head. And so that was enough pressure to make it burst. So eventually you ended up in the hospital. Now, were you at all unconscious? How did that, how did that, where, where, yeah. where were you at um, at that point? So I, I blacked out first while I was in the on, on the couch. Um, so I just blacked out my friends. I know this because I, I woke up. They tried to put me in their car to drive me to the hospital. But I woke up and I noticed that they were doing that. And I was really I was really dazed at that point. So I couldn't do anything, couldn't say anything. It was very quick. I just knew they couldn't carry me. And then after that I was like then I fall back into the coma or black out. Um and then they say they took me to the local hospital, but they didn't have enough or the right equipment right. for me. 
So then it took me to Knoxville. So let me so, let me interject because this is where, in between that, we're coming out of church mm-hmm. on a Sunday, July 18th, mm-hmm. and we get a call via Messenger, Facebook Messenger, that we usually don't receive. So my mm-hmm. wife receives it from uh, from a stranger, and um, she says, uh, "Your son is in the ambulance. He's non-responsive." And, um, you know, we're, they're going to take him to the hospital, you know, so we we're coming out of church, great service, you know, you're going to go home and, and or go to eat somewhere. And we and we get this call. And um, so we don't we don't all we have is questions. You know, what do you mean? Where's the ambulance? Who are you? What do you mean, my son? Can I talk to the EMS? And so we finally were able to speak to the EMS uh, person, and she didn't have many answers either. She told us she uh, she treated him for an overdose because college student, unresponsive. So they figured, okay, he tried some drugs and and uh, he overdosed, and so she gave, they gave him the overdose treatment. He did not respond to it. And I was like, of course he didn't, you know. And so I was like, okay, good. He's not on drugs. Uh, uh, but <laughs> but he didn't respond. And um, and actually, they, at that point, they had put a tube uh, to, to help him breathe because he was not breathing on his own by that time. Okay. And, um, and they were taking him to the local hospital. Um, the, he, Lee University is in Cleveland, Tennessee. And it's a small town, you know, uh, so they were not able to treat him there. They took x-rays. They were able to they were able to see enough that they could not treat him. Uh, So uh, in this while while this is happening, we're trying to get to Cleveland. And on a Sunday afternoon, about one o'clock, it's pretty hard to get to Cleveland, Tennessee. Um, you know, from one small town airport to a smaller town, which doesn't even have an airport. Uh, Cleveland doesn't have. And so uh, it, it took us it took us all day. Actually, we got to we got to Tennessee the next day at three o'clock in the morning. And by that time, they had transferred him to uh, to University of Tennessee. And um, and that's when we we found him there. So, how long were you out? No one tells me. <laughs> <laughs> so let me then let me let me continue then. So we we got there. It was about three o'clock in the morning on Monday when we finally arrived to now Knoxville. Mm-hmm. Right, it was Knoxville, mm-hmm. um, and uh, we were able to talk to uh, the surgeon because they did they had to emergency procedures on him. Uh, and so they did. They were able to stop the bleeding, uh, seal the the veins that were bleeding, and then they also had to remove a piece of skull uh, be, to to uh, I guess to make room for the swelling. Mm-hmm. You know. So what I was told was that a kind of a golf ball size uh, piece was removed uh, because. When you're when you're young, when you're this young, your brain is still as large as it is. The older you get, the more your brain kind of shrinks, 
And so when elderly people have a stroke, uh, they, there's room in their skull for swelling. But when you're 21, mm -hmm. there's not much room. And he was, they were definitely expecting swelling. So the AVM, it kind of mimics a stroke or is it like having a stroke? Yeah, it's kind of like it. It's not the same thing. That's why you don't call it that. Because mm -hmm. a stroke is when it's a clogged artery. Mm -hmm. But it's not really, nothing was clogged. It was pressure-based. So mm -hmm. that's what makes it different. Mm -hmm. But, you know, since they're both bleeding of the brain. Right. They kind of have the same effect. So, like, uh, it happened in the back of my head to the right. So the parts that are in the back of my head to the right are what they control. It's like my occipital lobe is my eyes. So it affected my eyesight to where uh, I didn't go blind, but my eyes kind of, they went in. So... So you, I, don't, I don't know how to say it. Like, look at it. Like, now I just went in. So I was like, I was not like, it was weird. I look. It felt like I was looking straight, but my eyes were in, mm -hmm. and so. So he his eyes were not able. Did not have all the motion uh, he had before. So if he tried to look to one side, the eye would bounce, and then we tried to look to the other side, the eye would bounce, and when you're looking at him. It, it looked, you could tell something was wrong. Uh, it, it looked like he was looking past you. Uh, so that was one of the things that was affected. His speech was affected. Oh, yeah. Right? Your your vocal cords were affected. Yeah, so that's why they said I stopped. I stopped uh, doing involuntary things, like that my brain just does, like like breathing, for instance. Um, it's because what controls that is the brain stem, mm -hmm. and so the the bleeding uh, hit a little bit. So like if it did any more, it probably would have just killed me like that. But it did a little bit, so it it stopped me from breathing. So when I woke up, the hardest things to do were breathing, and it also affected my. Uh, everything, muscles on my left side, because it was my right head, right head, right, right part of my head, my brain. Um, so one of the things that collapsed was my left vocal cord. So that means I could not talk at all. And it didn't, it was not paralyzed. My body didn't become paralyzed. It just became very weak. So with the, that part of my vocal cord, it just took a lot of time. It took, I think, three weeks. Yeah. So, now, if you didn't get to the hospital when you did, it's very possible you could have died. Mm -hmm. Yes. More yeah. than just possible or yeah. probable. Yeah. So, that was the beginning of, of what we saw as miracles. Mm -hmm. I, I, what, when I tell the story, I talk about a series of things that had to happen before he would even have surgery, you know? Yeah. So the first miracle, thankfully, he got to his friend's apartment and his friend was there. When we spoke to his friend, forget his name. Dakota. Dakota. Uh, he says, I'm almost never home. 
Um, on Sundays, I like I like to I be was out. Scared. No, I was like, I know that. So when he came down, I was like, oh, Thank God, God he's on. Yeah. So, so <laughs> did it? Was it painful? Yeah. What happened? Yeah, yeah, because it was. It felt like a regular headache. So that's why I wasn't scared for like two minutes. Mm-hmm. But after that, I was like, it's not going away. Something must be wrong. So at that point, I started panicking. Like, I was like oh, that's what I do. Because no one's here. Who do I tell? I don't have. And then I was like, I don't have a lot of time. You know, I don't know why. I was so tired. But I did. <laughs> I was like, I don't have a lot of time. Thank God you did. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, maybe next door. They're there. So I tried next door. Even though I know all three of them, Sunday, they don't like being home. So I just went. I was like, maybe they're there. Let's just say. And so when I looked, they liked even the door open. So I just opened the door. And no one was there in the living room. So I was like, dang it. I was like, hey, is anyone here? Uh, because one of them is the room, is brothers of my roommate. So he left to go rock climbing. Uh, another one is, I don't know. He just, I think he works. So he was working. And then Dakota just doesn't like being in the house. So... I was very glad when I saw Dakota come out from his room. So how long were you in the hospital? It was not a week. I don't think it was a week. No, we were, we were in Tennessee, in UT, for at least three weeks. Oh. And then... I feel like I remember, I remember three weekends. Yeah. So. At, at least three because they said... Uh, UT said we're gonna. Their goal was to get him out of intensive care mm-hmm. in three weeks, and that that was their timeline. And so they were gonna move him from from intensive care to regular room uh, in that timeline. So we did at least three weeks, and we may have done another week, but now outside of intensive care. So so let me ask you a question. Um, so you're you're a preacher's kid, mm-hmm. okay? Um, I'm kind of an adopted preacher's kid, <laughs> and I know how preacher's kids can be. <laughs> and there's a typical stereotype, right? You know, we get in trouble. There is. There is. <laughs> okay. So are you one of these typical, were you one of these typical preacher's kids? Oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I think I was very, I was very obedient and very, uh, I guess, straight and narrow when it comes to it. Yeah. Because I don't know why, but that's who I am. I think, like, my personality is just I want to be okay with people. Mm -hmm. I don't want people to get mad. That's always been my thing. You don't want to get in trouble. Yeah. And I don't want other people to get in trouble either. Yeah. So, like, I don't want to be the reason why other people would get mad or do something wrong. I'm married to that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not only does she ever not want to be get in trouble, she always tells me what I do so I won't continue to get in trouble. I'm like, it's okay. No, you'll get in trouble, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah. She's like a sheriff. <laughs> I feel like that too. But then nowadays with the culture now, you can't tell people what to do. Yeah. So <laughs> I have a friend who is a... And he's, I'll say, a struggling Christian, mm-hmm. I guess. And so we'll play video games almost every day. And he'll tell me his life and stuff he does. And I'll be like, that's, oh, I'll think to myself, that's not right. 
you should be doing this. I am what to tell him, but he's younger than me. And so, we, you know, we know the culture. It's like, if I were to tell him, and I do, I have, but he just bounces it off, you know, and he laughs it off. Or or worse, he just criticize me. I'd be like, why? Yeah. why do I even try? <laughs> yeah. So... Let's go, let's go to rehab, because in my understanding, people that go through something like this usually have a long or difficult rehab. Am I correct to yeah. guess mm-hmm. that? So what was rehab like? What, what happened? How did you deal with that? Not only physically, but how did you deal with that emotionally? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was like sometime in August... We went to rehab. Like, I know, all I know is after my mom's birthday. So it must have been like, by now, I went to rehab two years ago. Um, and then we got out September, last week of September. Um, oh, it was six weeks, that's what it was. Um, so we got there. I was very excited because I just wanted to not be in the hospital bed anymore. <laughs> so I was like, what well, what happened is that it, to transfer me to there, so we were in Knoxville, and the rehab was in Atlanta. So it's like if from here to Dallas, mm-hmm. and like a, I was like this in the back of an ambulance. So I was like this the whole way. I was, the whole time, I was like, wow. I was just thinking to myself. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. I forgot. Oh, I think it was... Uh, that the assistant was cute. That's it. <laughs> That's all I was thinking about. Typical male. Yeah. Typical male. Before we get into and continue with the rehab, I want to, I want to ask I want to ask Senior a question. Now, in the story, by the way, if, if any of you want to read the story, it's really kind of it's a one page story. It's in uh, the San Antonio Beacon. You can get it online. Uh, S.A. Beacon. Uh, it's really an amazing story. It's really good, um, and I recommend it. However, in the in the story, and when we talked the other day, you mentioned about a, a, a scripture, and you yeah. said like First Samuel thirty. So I looked it up, and I this doesn't make any sense. So <laughs> so I had to look it up, and and right back to the story, it's it's twenty. Okay, so you were at a point where you didn't know whether. Your son was going to live or die. That's right. Okay. And you prayed, and you said this scripture came to you. Now, the scripture is is 1 Samuel 20, and basically it says, And the Lord told him, we're talking about David, right? Uh, yes, to go after them, and you will surely recover everything that was taken from you. And he believed this was God's way of saying yes, etc., etc., etc. Okay. But... So I, I'm the kind of guy that goes back and, and says, where does the scripture come from? So I'm going back to read it, and it's about Jonathan and David, and David having to... You have, do, you have the wrong chapter. Really? It is 30. It is 30? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I, could, I, could, I could... Then go back. I'm, I'm a preacher, so I, I, could, I, could give you, I could give it to you. So, uh, so 1 Samuel chapter 30 okay. is uh, David is in between, and he's living in Ziklag. Okay. And Ziklag is a place of transition for David because he's no longer with Saul. Saul has rejected him. 
and uh, he's not there any longer. Uh, but he's not yet king, which he's anointed to be. Mm-hmm. So he's in that middle place, in that place of transition. And uh, he comes back from from being rejected from the Philistines uh, because they didn't want him to fight because he was he was uh, he was with the Israelis. He was a Jew. He was, you know, so so he got rejected now by Saul, his king. And then he got rejected by the Philistine warriors. And so he was in this in this bad place. He comes back home to Ziklag and he finds the place burnt down. Okay, so that that's chapter thirty. In that, uh, there's a there's a lot of pressure on him. This is where the Bible says, uh, and David encouraged himself in the Lord. That's the kind of the popular verse of that of that chapter. And then he he goes on. And he tells the priest, "Bring me the ephod," and he brings him, and he goes to before God. And David prays himself. He doesn't pray through a priest. You know, he speaks to God himself. And uh, he says in in chapter in chapter thirty, uh, verse eight, he says in the New King James, which is more anointed to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I use it. <laughs> he says, "Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them?" And uh, how that fits in my story. In, in my prayer, because when we walked into that ICU room about three o'clock in the morning that Monday and we see Marcus and, and if you, you read the story and I think maybe you took that picture, um, Marcus is tubed up and not breathing on his own. And that's very that's a horrible image to see of your son that is athletic, that is a musician that cannot sit still and he's very coordinated, and now he's on this bed, all these tubes and tape. And, you know, when they do stuff to your head, they just shave the place where they're dealing. And Marcus always had a big hair, let's call it, you know. Yeah. And uh, so he he uh, he shaved it and shaved in different places, and it was just a very difficult image to take in as the parent. And so I, I told God, and I prayed to God at that moment, and I, I, I spoke with God and I said, you know what, God, I dedicated him to you uh, so many years ago. Brought him to the altar. That is our custom. The way Jesus was dedicated, that is what we did. And we dedicate our children to the Lord. So I dedicated him to you uh, when he was born. He is yours more than he's mine. So if you're going to take him, thank you for waiting for us to get here so that we could send him off. Uh, because it was it was touch and go for several days. Uh, but then I said, but if you're not going to take him, then I want to know because I'm going to fight for his life. But I don't want to fight against you. In other words, if it was God's will to take Marcus, I don't want to fight against God. But if it was God's will to heal him, then I'm definitely going to fight, which is where it kind of leads up to David's prayer. Where David says, because David, what was David? David was a warrior. David, if David knew anything, he knew how to fight. And he could definitely uh, trigger that warrior in him and go beat these guys up. But he didn't just do that. He prayed. And then is when in chapter 30, uh, God responds to him and he answered him. And this is verse 8 of chapter 30 of 1 Kings. 1 Kings 30, verse 8. And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. Mm 
And so that is the word that I received that very early morning in the IC room, ICU room with Marcus. And I told my wife and we dried our tears. We stopped feeling sorry for ourselves and stopped feeling sorry for Marcus. Marcus doesn't need us to feel sorry for him. What we what he needs us to do is to believe, is to have faith, is to fight. And that's what we did. And, and armed with that word, we knew at that moment, though it was going to be difficult, we were going to have the victory. Okay. okay. Now, back to yes. Marcus. So here you're, we're dealing with your rehab now. Okay. So, yeah, I, it was six weeks in Atlanta. Uh, so at that point, I could, I couldn't walk by, my, by myself, and I barely started talking. Um, I couldn't. You couldn't eat. I couldn't eat, and I couldn't. I could drink, but nothing like too solid. I, not like ice. I couldn't have ice. Or, it had to be thick, right? I so don't you know, were. I forgot. Yeah. So he was choking on water. And okay. so that was one of what well, that was one of the goals to get Marcus to be able to drink water because one of his uh, one side of the vocal cords. Right. Uh, oh. Were were paralyzed. The, and so it was paralyzed side, open. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the vocal cords, they do this to talk and to do anything to make the sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there the resting is this. So. uh I guess left side, it was like this. So, uh, they were, and because it's like this, that means also mucus right. comes up because your vocal cords also stop mucus from coming up. So I had a lot of that. So I, had, I coughed up a lot of mucus or it was very weird. I just had mucus in my mouth. So I had to use a little suction thing to take it out for a while but um so initially they did an exam and they said the vocal cord cord was paralyzed but then once I got to the rehab they did again and the guy said oh no it's it's getting better it's not paralyzed it's gonna get better so at that point we knew that the fact that I was talking was it was getting better because mm-hmm. it was paralyzed I could, would never be able to talk in so the fact that I was talking again was a good sign to to mean that I could eventually eat and drink everything again so that's what we were focusing on for for at least the speech therapy um, and then we had uh, physical therapy so that's walking and doing stuff uh, physically, at least, right? So, <clears throat> the focus, again, was walking. So, I was on a wheelchair at that point, um, doing everything by wheelchair. And I would go um, to the gym, uh, and they would do, like, they would have me stand up and, like, hold, hold something while I would just, like, do... I don't know, side steps, do side steps, or they would hold my hands as I walk over stuff. Even one time they had me on like a 
a robot machine thing. Mm. They put me in it to just walk with myself, just get my brain back into walking. So I would know that feeling. My legs would know that feeling, yeah. feeling again. So we did that for like for six weeks, and it got better. But uh, I was still in a wheelchair at that point mm-hmm. by the end of six weeks. Yeah. And then after that, I went to outpatient therapy, which was where they released me to go back home to come back here, and. You finish up your therapy here in San Diego. Yeah, so we finish it up here. So that I think it was just another couple another couple of weeks. And yeah, so a couple of weeks. It was like October, November. It's a couple of months. Was it? Okay. Yeah. Because you, you put he put it as a goal for himself uh to no longer use any assistance. So he went from a wheelchair to a walker, from the walker to a cane, and the cane to to nothing. And so I remember, I, th- I think it was February of, of that next year now, where he says, uh, February 1st, I'm not using a cane any longer. And uh, we kind of looked yeah, at him sideways. That was my New Year's resolution. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what year was this? This was in 2020? 2022. 20, so okay. the injury happened in 21. Mm-hmm. And so now, so the end of, so 2000, 2001, okay. 2021 okay. uh, of July, right. So, and they were able to fix all of the veins in the in your head. They're all totally. Yeah. So I think they told me there was nothing, there was nothing to fix. They just had to stop it. Right. Because it was just, once it happened, it happened. It's not going to happen again. So... The veins just burst, and that was it. Mm. Okay, that's nothing to fix. You know what I mean? So you can't. They can't connect them the way it's supposed yeah, to. Yeah, I be think. Those. I think there was other parts. Right, because they're they're the smallest veins, so they're the capillaries mm-hmm. that that burst. Oh, so, yeah. so part of the AVM is that it goes from a larger size vein, and then it reduces immediately to a capillary type size. So on, on a normal process of the vein, it would shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink. But in his, it went from a, a regular size vein to the capillary too quickly. So that way the capillary cannot handle the pressure that a larger vein can. Mm-hmm. And then that's why the pressure was, was a problem. You know, and then it it burst because it was just too much pressure at that time. You know, it's interesting. They're finding more and more about your stem, brain stem, and uh, the, like, for example, my veins or whatever, it's all twisted a little bit. And the only reason I know that is because, you know, I stop breathing when I'm sleeping. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, my wife would tell me, hey, you stopped breathing last night. I'm, yeah, I'm still breathing. I'm fine, you know. I would make jokes about it, teaser, you know. And finally one time I <gasps> woke up like that. Uh, yeah. uh, I better go see somebody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and sure enough, the, I stopped breathing. So now I have a special, not just a regular CPAP, but if I stop breathing, it pushes air uh, okay. harder so it starts me breathing again. Yeah. So it's all because of the veins or whatever is twisted in my brain stem. Oh. stem. So I guess it's a lot of newer technology they're yeah. finding out about this stuff so and and thank god because one of the procedures uh they had to do on marcus 
they went in through the 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 vein in his leg, mm-hmm. you know, to get all the way up to the to the brain, to do whatever they were going to do, you know. So uh, we thank God for technology, and mm-hmm. and for modern medicine, yeah. um, because this all happened while we were on the plane to Atlanta, and we landed in Atlanta, and we're calling for updates, and we were able to speak to the surgeon and to the different yeah. specialists that worked on Marcus, and they, you know, they were very nice, <clears throat> but they said, we've done everything we can, now we wait. So, you're all healed, you're all together, you're all good, mm-hmm. exercising, yeah, lifting weights, yeah. <laughs> playing sports. Trying to get back into it, yeah. Trying to get back into it, okay. It's a little difficult, because he's still... Still got a little bounce issues. I get, I gotta get used to doing that stuff again. Yeah, you know it's, it's interesting. When I was, um, and I we you and I talked. When I was uh, seventeen, and I I had this grand mal seizure, and I had no idea. Of course, my I was kind of in a in a way where I didn't grow up in the church, so I didn't have a pastor father from childhood, so to really learn all this stuff from, I was kind of jumped in a year before and so when it happened to me I felt like because I was very athletic I was on the football team I was Mm -hmm. I played I was a pitcher and baseball I was everything and all of a sudden I felt like I'd have this seizure just at a moment's notice I felt like I was a freak of nature seriously it was I'd be sitting in Sunday school at church and I could feel it coming on. I'd go walk out to the grass, lay on the ground, and sure enough, I'd do the worm, you know, whatever you oh, want. <laughs> you know, and after it was all done, I did, you know, all drool all over, and I'd walk back in. But I was, like, wiped out for the rest of the day or two. And 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 I I basically started asking, getting upset with God. You know, I don't know how you experienced your own emotions but for me it was like why god why did you do this why did you allow this to happen i asked my pastor and he says well it's not his perfect will it's his permissive will i go that's a bunch of garbage give me an answer nobody had an answer and it wasn't until i went i mean how did you deal with that i mean i know once i woke up uh it was very i think convincing that that it was God has my life in his hands. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I could have died right then, so I'm alive. So of course I had the why, but then after why, I had, I, I thought to myself, well then, what now? Am I going to keep going away from God, who has my life in his hands, or turn to him? And it was very, like, fight or flight kind of idea so I didn't I didn't really think about it emotionally I just thought about it like on a survival basis like if I'm gonna live then I might as well live for God now and so that's what I internalized for these you know past two years and I've just been really focused on that and it's kind of about now well now I now that I've graduated and I'm just living home, I am now I do ponder those questions more often of of why. And just because I don't it's be, I guess it's because when I look physically at things, it doesn't seem to to go where I've how much strides I've taken spiritually. 
that I've like now I, I ask God well if these whole two years were just to get me over here spiritually then what about me physically now like what am I, what am I supposed to do and I guess that's where I'm, what I'm figuring out now right. and that I think is the key Mm-hmm. What yeah. happened to me is unfortunately, you know, I finally went to a, a chaplain and I, and I asked him, I says, why did God do this? And he simply said, I don't know. And he started to cry. He took off his glasses. He goes, I have a daughter. She's 27 years old and she's mentally retarded and she lives in a convalescent hospital. And I don't know why. Oh, I mean, all of me just broke down. Unfortunately, you know, with my situation, they're giving me these drugs that are barbiturates. And they gave me so much and so many different kinds that it made me manic depressant, or now they call it bipolar. So I was that bipolar for like 12 years. And I couldn't make decisions. But I understood something that this chaplain wrote in a book. He says, you don't ask why. Because why puts God into creating good and evil? Ask how. How can you use me now with what I have to reach people and, and to honor you? Yeah. So now that I'm off all that those barbiturates and I'm clear-headed, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> it's a lot easier to make decisions, you know. Yeah. But I started to learn that because of what has happened to me, and because of what has happened to you, you can take what God has has, has been with you in, in all of this, and you can say, okay, Lord, where do you want me? How do you want me to honor you with a testimony that reaches others? Right. And that's where I'm at, and, I, and I've passed that now. I use that. I'm When I was younger, I was too embarrassed to say I had a, I had a seizure disorder. Mm-hmm. But now it's... You know, it's not a big deal because I want God to be honored. And there's a lot of people that go through these things and they they don't know what to say or what to do or how to think. Yeah. But but I was not as fortunate as you as having parents to train me in in biblical understanding. Yeah. You had that. You still you have that much more than I ever did, you know. You're much yeah. further along. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I... I guess before the injury, I took it for granted. But not... No, I don't say... Not all the time. Because when I went to college, I was... I think like I wrote. Like I was... No, no, I wrote it to someone else. Um, I was... It's funny. Because we grew up... We are a church of God. And so, going to growing up in church, there are there are things that you just you just do, mm-hmm. like you're just loud, like we say, you're just loud, and you're colorful or whatever, and in your speech and in your in your walk. And so when I went to college, I was 18, and I was uh, I was on fire. And my our older cousin, the the actual son of the the pastor that we went to. Um, he he was my my guy my north star so I looked at him um, and I still do um, and he he was crazy 
And he was awesome. He's funny. And he's, his personality is just funny. He just likes being funny. He likes moving, dancing, getting people to laugh. And so do I. And so I would look to him. And I was like, okay, I want to be like him. And so I went to, to school and I saw my friends or making friends. Um, once they got to know me, they got to know how how crazy I really was. Um, personally, uh, in a relationship level. And then I think I decided uh, like a year into college that I was going to be, I was going to show them how church of God I was. <laughs> and so I, what I do, speaking in tongues out loud, uh, jumping when no one else was jumping and dancing and moving. What I did not do, which others did, because I, I don't know, I was like, it was weird. It still is weird to me. But the, the running around that we do, Chirikov will do, is, is, I don't, it's great. I like it. But it was never my cup of tea, I guess. Right. But there's one time, uh, a friend of mine that's also Church of God, she, we had a worship night, and she did it. But I guess uh, it was it was great. It was cool. But then, uh, I don't know. I, I guess that's the problem. I was watching it. So then it made me kind of weirded out. But then, again, stuff like that was not for me. It's for her. Mm-hmm. So now, for me, whenever I'm worshiping, I my eyes are closed the whole time. Praise song, worship song. It's like, I don't care. It's like whatever you do is not for me. Right. But what I'm gonna do is between me and God. Yeah. And so if you're not closing your eyes and you see me do something weird, that's your problem. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's me now. So, you know, let me just interject, and because the why question is is hard to not ask. Oh, I know. It's it's a normal response you know but now sitting so close but still outside it didn't happen to me happened to to my son um the the, i really fought the urge to ask why uh and and again uh because i love the word and and one of my favorite scriptures is romans 8 28 and uh, I, I, I figured, okay, this is going to work, and it's going to be a blessing, and it's it's going to work out for his good. It may not be good, but it's going to work out. And then I, I remember that, you know, when Jesus kind of gave his mission statement, you know, he says that he why he came was to seek and save the lost. I think, I think that helps us to... To keep in priority, nobody wants to live sick. Nobody wants to live poor or or outside of whatever uh, the benefits of being Christian. Uh, but the main thing, the main thing, is salvation. You know, and if we understand that the main thing is eternal life in Christ Jesus, heaven, forgiveness of sins, I think. We we don't we don't we could we don't have to major on the the physical things that are here now, you know. Say okay, I'm saved, 
And it's better to go to heaven with one eye. It's better to go to heaven uh, with one arm than to go to hell with both eyes. You know, so I think for me, again, so close, but still not the actual person helped help me. Uh, that helped me when, you know, to, to not focus on Lord. Why him? Why him? Why my family? Why can't it be somebody else? No, Marcus, this worked out for Marcus. We we were God never left us. I don't think or interpret this as a punishment. Uh, I don't think that's God. That's not that's no, not right. the way he is. Uh, but when you stay close to God and you seek God, even through the valleys, even through the difficult times, then we can kind of walk into that Romans 8, 28. You know, and I don't think it's I mean, if you have the why question in you, you need to ask it. You need to allow God to answer that for you. Otherwise, it's going to fester in you, I think, if you, if you don't resolve it. I really do think you have to let God resolve that why so that you can get past it. You know, whether it's very minor or major, it, it we have to be honest and it has to happen. I have a question. Is Lee University a Christian university? Yeah. Okay. It's a Church of God affiliated Right, they. Well, Church of God created that. Yeah, so it's the Church of God uh, okay. Learning Institution, yeah, the university. So, now you you went to school and you were your plans were to become um, someone who uh, yeah. played music. Played music, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you're a performer. That's it. Right. Yeah. Okay. But now, now since this has happened, everything has changed. Is that correct? Yeah. Well. Of course, physically, it's changed to where I am, I guess, mentally slower, I would say. I won't, I won't say retarded. But I guess the same thing, but, like, it's really just slower. It's a little bit, really. But um, now, Well, let's clarify that because it's, it's, it, it, may, it may be just uh, maybe in a response time, so it's not in understanding or in capacity. You know, he's not... He's he's not hindered in intellect. You don't seem uh, hindered at all. Exactly. Uh, not at all. You don't. I mean, he, I, that that response is being a little bit hard on yeah, himself. Because I, yeah, because I I know that what is I have a, rel- a relative that that is she's amazing, but she's slower, and you can you know it, and you can tell you're not that at all. You're not even close. Okay. So, um, and I understand not doing things. Like you used to. I mean, I, I'm a testament to that. Yeah. <laughs> I understand that, you know, I can't catch a ball a certain way like I used to or, you know, uh, things happen. But um, but now you you what I've read in the story is now you want to teach. Is that correct? Yeah, I think I've always I could I always had the idea of teaching like I always I knew I was always good at good at it. But through high school. I was like, I didn't want to be a teacher because I just wanted to perform. The people that I would see online in the videos, they're performers. So I was like, let me just be a performer like them. And so that's what I was striving for. And I think I was doing good. I I have a a YouTube channel where I post videos I made because I love 
I love making stuff and just being myself. I was always me. And I was going to do more of that stuff. But because of the injury, I had to I had to slow down. I couldn't do it as fast anymore. So I had to get it back together. Now I can I can play saxophone and drum set or other instruments that I I could I did before. I can play them good enough. Um but I guess now it's like the the focus has changed, right? So not solely performing because I was kind of stubborn in that and uh, now it's it's teaching and teaching whatever I can because I love music and now I know I love I love uh, when I guess just teaching in general is like when you're able to when you're able to help someone understand or get the, uh, the idea of like oh I can do this because you help them get it that's just the best part that's teaching you just love teaching and you know i love doing that so do you right now do any kind of a say home teaching for people who want to learn your saxophone better so you can tutor them yeah so i i've done well right now it's yes yes i do that um and it's with mainly music in general mm -hmm. uh because I could focus more on, on saxophone or on jump set, which is what I play proficiently. Um, but I like, and I think there is a better audience of people who just want to learn music. And I know music because I, I graduated with music degree. And I love teaching it. And I did with, uh, I taught two eighth graders and they did not know music at all. And so now, in four weeks, four lessons, they can play piano and drum set, respectively. You know, they they can do it. They used to not, and in four weeks now they can. And because I help them do that, you know, now they're church friends of mine. And so now, these past three weeks, they would just come up to me. It's, we're friends now. We were never really friends that much, uh, but now they come to me. We talk about music, we talk about school, we talk about stuff. That's awesome because I love connecting. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. It's connecting. And teaching and music is a connection. And making music, what I do is I make music so I connect, so I can connect with people. Do you find yourself wanting to teach, to say, in a school setting? That was that was a thing where I was like, I don't want to do that. So that's why I want to do performance. Mm -hmm. But now I look at it, I'm like, maybe I should because I love teaching. The only thing is that it's a public school. And so, I don't know, growing up, and people always tell me, oh, I guess not always, but some people tell me, it's like, it's good. But then the hardships of being a teacher, I'm like, well, they will say, like, it's just sometimes it's not enough. They're like, they don't know what to do. But others, if they just love teaching, they love it. It doesn't matter. So that's why I was like, I don't know. When I when I grew up through high school, of course, I gave all my teachers really a bad time. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was terrible. I was... 
I was the kid that if I didn't want to take a test, I would pull the fire alarm. <laughs> Seriously. Somebody <laughs> said, I'll give you 20 bucks if you do it. 20 bucks, give it in my hand, and I did it. I mean, I, I, I would have teachers, if they took somebody's uh, tips away and they had them on their desk. I make a ruckus, so we go up there and sneak them back. I mean, oh I was gosh. I was a night I was a teacher's nightmare, <laughs> literally, and I end up professionally teaching in school. <laughs> of course, my topic I taught Bible, yeah. you know, and in Christian schools they don't always have, uh, you, you know, if you're teaching Bible, they don't you almost don't have enough classes to teach. So I also taught history. But um, but I learned that it became more of a blessing by touching these kids' yeah. lives and connecting with them in such ways that, you know, it, it's just amazing. It, it mm-hmm. just, I never, never understood that until I actually started teaching. And I really got talked into it. But later I realized I had the gift of teaching. And it's like, wow, this is amazing. But I loved it. And, and I love the response. And I love the, the gratification of, of reaching in and touching kids' lives. Mm-hmm. You know, and, I, and it, Marcus, hearing this again, um, <clears throat> it reminds me, Marcus loves the connection. Mm-hmm. You know, he loves the relationship. Uh, and music, and not only music, uh, helps him to make that connection, but the injury and the testimony has enhanced him. You know, to to make that connection stronger, and I think this is one of the ways that Romans eight twenty eight applies to Marcus. It's working out for his good, and and it's enhancing his ability to connect with people. Yeah. Now, my wife is if she watches, and she probably will watch this program. Uh, she's going to hate me saying this, but I bought her a uh, keyboard about seven, eight years ago. I want to play. I've always wanted to play when I was a kid. My parents wouldn't let me, and so I bought her one, and she has never taken a lesson. <laughs> I know a guy. She so, <laughs> so I have your phone number. <laughs> yeah. oh, my gosh. I will give yeah. it to her. That's <laughs> no, okay. And we have that. It's a full 88 key. Awesome. Heavy. It's the weighted. I mean, it's, uh-huh. it's, it's like a piano. It's yeah. Like, Amazing. Yeah, let's do it. So, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's interesting. Um, and we talked before the program, I mentioned we're going to talk about healing. Of course, we don't have a lot of time. We've talked a lot about healing. And I think that when you read through Psalms, you know, David, and in Psalms, there's a lot about healing. Yeah. David went through more emotional problem of healing than, than ever. I mean, I mean, of course, a lot of it was his own doing, you know, <laughs> yeah. most of it was his own doing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things. And something I mentioned earlier about, you know, I've, I, I'm somebody who, who speaks up, okay? And it's, you know, I think it's the teacher in me, but somebody said it's the it's a prophet in me. I says I don't see myself as a prophet, but when people say things that are just not scriptural, I, and they say it once or I mean two or three times, I'm like that's not true, and I'll stand up and I'm like, oh, everybody's looking at me, <laughs> and I and I literally sat in a, in a Bible study where this lady was teaching. She went to. Um, uh, I better not name the church, but she went to. Uh, Uh, a church where they about the gifts they deal they deal with the, a lot of the gifts and she would say over and over again that uh, if you don't have faith God can't heal you 
So, and then finally, about the third time, I said, that is absolutely false. It's not scriptural. And she would look at me, what do you mean? You know, and, and I literally had people in that classroom. I knew that she would lay hands on. If they didn't get healed, she would say, you don't have enough faith. And that's why you're not healed. And I said, well, you know, Jesus walked into in, uh, Bethesda, I think it was, walked by the pool, Bethesda, and, and this guy was laying on the mat for X amount of years and couldn't walk. He was lame. And, and Jesus asked the guy, hey, do, do you want to be healed? And he didn't say yes. All he said was, I've, I've been here for so long and I, I try to get into the pool and nobody's here to help me. All he did was complain. And what did Jesus do? He said, get up and walk. He healed him without that faith. And, and I mentioned this earlier in, in the program. And I think that that's important that we understand that. Healing is a remarkable thing and, and it's, it's there and I've experienced, of course, I take medication, but through all of that medication, 100 years ago, I would have been dead. Mm-hmm. You know, 80 years ago, I would have been dead if, if they didn't have what they had. You would have been dead if they didn't mm-hmm. because of the technology. And I think that healing comes in a lot of different ways. And we may have physical healing. We have emotional healing. We have spiritual healing mental healing, there's all kinds of stuff there that we can rely on that I think is so important, and the scriptures lend us to that. And when we talk about faith, to me, faith, it's um, it's actually, uh, in the Greek, it's actually, uh, pistis is, a, is an action word. And if you look at it in English, the very word with a T-H, faith, uh, makes it action. I don't know if you knew that, but it, it, back in the 16, 1500s, it was fey through the Latin, and they added the th to make it in English to make it action. And we've taken, oh. we've added that on, just like believeth makes it right. action. Believe doesn't. So we have that problem. Um, so, so the action of obedience in faith helps us mm-hmm. understand what happens in healing. And it was interesting how Jesus healed people and and would say to them, go sin no more. It's like this, you need to obey. You need to to live in obedience. You need to live in holiness. Seek holiness. And I think that's... And and pastor, you know, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think this is a key area that I think we're missing in our world today. This whole idea of seeking holiness. Of course, I'm sure you come from a holiness church. That's right. So, so, and I'm teaching strong in the last two months about holiness, uh, whether it's at church and my classes or here. And it, I think it has to, a lot have, has to do with why don't we see the power anymore in our world? Well, how much in holiness are we seeking? That's right. You know, and I think, I think that's a huge thing. I mean, what do you, either one of you, what do you think about that? In that? Uh, well, about the, the holiness piece, uh, to understand it better, holiness is not perfection. Right. The Bible doesn't say, be ye perfect, for I am perfect. It says, be holy. Right. So, and the holiness talks about the separation. We are called, set apart. The church, you know, called apart, separated uh, from whatever, from everything else. So we should look different. We should be separated. There should be that distinction between between believers and and non-believers. And so, but then in in that piece, 
the step that requires us to step away from from it, I think it, it well, the Bible says it, it, it requires faith, that action. Mm-hmm. And I love that TH. I just, uh, that, that's great. I'm going to use that. Believeth, because believe tends to be a passive type of thing. But believeth now says, okay, now I have to, I have to prove it. Uh, so uh, the, the faith piece uh, is not something that we could just say, I don't need it. Uh, the holiness piece, uh, yeah, I don't need it. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. That is, we're not negotiating that. But now that we know that we have received by grace, through faith, salvation, we are called to live holy. We're called to live separately, to live apart. We shouldn't look like unbelievers. We shouldn't act like or speak like, live like we, we need to be separate. We need to be holy because that's, that's what we're called. That's a standard that we're called to yeah. live. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, 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 and uh, I think holy, holiness is also a, a cleansing as well. It's, it's a separation and a cleansing, mm-hmm. I think. And God created us this, this way. We were created in his moral image. Yeah. You know, and, and holiness is, is, is the center and the essence of God. And I think that, you know, seeking that is primary. And, you know, and and now that Jesus has died and and risen from the dead, you know, the the blood of Jesus plays a role in our life in that in that cleansing, because we're not again, we're not perfect. Sanctification. Yeah. Yeah. Sanctification piece. Yes. Well, you know, it's been a really a big pleasure Mm -hmm. to. Yeah. I I hope, you know, I hope this. your message gets out there because I think it's important that people see you, mm-hmm. that people see um, people stand up from where they were, what they went through, and to move forward. Yes. You know, and I think in that we can see the power of God, not just because there was healing physically, but because mm-hmm. there's a, a regeneration, a revival, if you will, in the spirit. Mm-hmm. And I see that in you, and I and I and I don't know you that well, mm-hmm. but I see that in you, and, um, and I think that's a, that's what's really amazing. Mm-hmm. So that's a witness, that's a testimony yeah. of the power of God right there. Yeah. And that's why I said it's not why; it's how can you use me, God? Yes. Well, God will use you. This this program will go out to many people, huh. yeah. thousands of people, <laughs> and so your testimony will be out there, you know, and and, um, and you can share it yourself. And I think that that's huge, and yeah. your life will touch. Just like I, I pray that my life will touch many people because of my testimony, the things that have happened, that I don't just squash it mm-hmm. you yeah. know, and overlook it. Uh, I think that's, that's huge. Thanks for coming to my program. I really yeah. appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You, know, you guys are, are wonderful. You're amazing. Mm-hmm. You're, you're thrown <laughs> in my you. side half the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing my job. <laughs> Thank you, Alan, for having us. Yeah. It really is, has been a pleasure. I was very happy to receive the invitation. And uh, really, thank you so much from the from us, Mark Burgos, both of us. Yeah. Uh, we're really grateful for you. Thank you, sir. Okay. So thank you for joining us today. Um, everyone, you all have a wonderful day, a wonderful week. Aloha. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.